This morning, we have the opportunity from here from um, our sending church um, sent a pastor. Pastor Phil is going to preach to us this morning, and he's uh, from Countryside Church, which is the church that planted us here about five or six years ago. And uh, Pastor Phil started as a pastoral resident with Countryside in January of 2020 and recently came on full-time as a pastor there. And uh, I just wanted to pray for us and welcome him to come preach the word to us. I'm going to pray for him and pray for our hearts as well that we would receive the words. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have written for us your word. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would put a spirit of confidence and power and fill that he would get out of the way and just be able to to glare your glorious truth from your word. And we ask for our hearts this morning, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you, that your spirit would take your word and pierce our hearts, that we would surrender more of us to you. Lord, we need to recognize our sinfulness. We need to recognize your holiness. And we ask for those that are here this morning, maybe, Lord, that have not heard of Jesus Christ, that they would hear and respond, and that they would come, as we sang this morning, that they would come and recognize there's no cost that they can pay, but that they would run to Jesus Christ, who alone can save them from their sins. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for having me and my family here this morning. It's a joy to be with you. Um, I get to see a chance. I get a chance to see what God's doing here in Lawrence. It's really awesome to hear. Um, the good news of God working here in this city and your faithfulness as the body of Christ um, as you um, come together as God builds his church here. And we pray often for you at Countryside. We've been rejoicing with you at what God's been doing here. And so it's really neat to get to be here. I was thinking about that as I was preparing this week. Um, I don't think I've actually been here for a service um, since you were meeting downtown um, and it was several years ago. So this is the first time to get to gather together with you in this building that I've been here. It's just really neat to see um, God working and building his church here. Um, and to gather together really on, on the most important day of the week for us as God's people. As we come together to hear the word of God. To, de- to c- declare the truth of his word to each other as we've just done. As we sang songs of truth. Well, this morning I've titled this sermon, It's Okay to Be Sheep. And where I live in Johnson County, I don't actually come across sheep very often. Um, where we live, um, the sheep, you, you have to pay to go see sheep uh, because no one has them around. And I'm guessing that's likely your experience here in Lawrence as well. Um, and outside of maybe a few of you, You've probably had zero experience with sheep. I know that um, I know that I've tackled a few to the ground a few times. Um, we use live sheep at Countryside for our living nativity presentation that we do, and that's really as far as I've gone in experiencing sheep. Um, outside of maybe a few lamb chops here and there. Um, but if you're like me, you hear the title sheep, and you probably think that this is a derogatory term. It's not usually a good thing to be called a sheep. We don't usually communicate something that's good about someone else when we refer to them as sheep. Well, this morning, I hope that your thinking about this title sheep will be changed. 
I want us to see that because of what Jesus communicates to us in his word, that it's okay to be a sheep. It's okay to be a sheep because of the truth we find in our passage this morning. And so if you would grab your Bibles and open to John chapter 10, we're going to work our way through the first part of this chapter. John chapter 10. And we'll begin by just reading the first six verses, which sets, sets the scene, if you will, and the setting for what Jesus is about to say. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So what we find here in these first six verses is an introduction to this metaphor that Jesus uses to describe who he is and what he's come to this earth to do. The culture in Jesus' day was dependent on agriculture, specifically livestock and specifically sheep. Herds of sheep were prevalent in the surrounding fields and plains and mountainsides. So Jesus' metaphor of sheep um, should have made sense to his audience. But what do we see in verse 6? They did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus is using this metaphor to communicate this truth. Here's what he's trying to communicate. Sheep are dependent on on a shepherd, to protect them from danger. Sheep are dependent on a shepherd to protect them from danger. In Jesus' day, sheep were not left to roam free, like um, most livestock today is left in a field that's fenced in, um, and they're checked on maybe once or, once or twice a week, unless it's cold, then you have to check every day so that they, their water's not frozen, Right? Uh, But for the most part, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you check your livestock, if you have any more than that, um, you you can correct me if I'm wrong, but but sheep in Jesus' day had to be watched all the time. There was no leaving them alone in the pasture. They were cared for by a shepherd who lived with the sheep, and there was danger from multiple sources, as we'll see this morning. Um, There's danger from thieves and robbers who try to steal the sheep. There's danger from wolves and other wild animals who would prey upon the sheep for food. And in a lot of ways, there's danger from the sheep themselves. Sheep do not know how to care for themselves. Sheep are prone to wander with no sense of direction. They're easily frightened and they only know how to run away. And in their running, they have no depth perception. Sheep are dependent on a shepherd. Um, they, they also, they can't digest certain plants, but they don't know how to differentiate 
what they can and they can't eat. And so they need a shepherd that can guide them to food so that they don't destroy themselves by eating the wrong thing. Sheep have no way of defending themselves in the face of danger. And you may have thought in your mind that a shepherd must have had a pretty easy life. Uh, Maybe you think of King David who wrote a lot of the Psalms um, as just sitting on a field playing a harp. He had it nice and easy. No wonder he wrote so many songs, right? Well, the reality is this. Sheep will not survive unless someone cares for them. Sheep are fully dependent on their shepherds. And as we look at this this setting that Jesus gives us in these first six verses, uh, we see that a key part of Jesus' metaphor is the sheepfold that he mentions in verse 1. These were large gated shelters or corrals of some sort that would be used by the shepherds when they came in from the fields. During the day, the shepherd would lead his sheep out to graze, but at night the sheep uh, would need to be contained in this sheepfold to be protected. As Jesus points out, only the shepherds were allowed into these pens. If anyone wanted to try to steal the sheep, they would have to climb over the walls or break through the walls in some way. So we see the sheepfold. We also see the shepherd that Jesus refers to. Notice that the shepherd has spent enough time with his sheep that they recognize his voice and they follow him. He leads them and he calls them by their name. He does not drive his sheep by force, but he goes before them and gently leads them with his voice. And with this setting in mind, we also need to consider the the greater context of the whole book of John. We're jumping into the middle of something that John has been arguing for for 10 chapters now. Um, John is writing this gospel to communicate the truth that Jesus is God. Jesus is the I am, self-existent God. So John uses I am statements of Jesus to tie his identity back to Yahweh. And I know you've been working your way through Exodus, uh, where you see Yahweh communicating to his people and delivering them from slavery and danger. This is that same God. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who described himself to Moses as, I am that I am. John's point is that Jesus is the same God. He is God. And so, as we come to this passage this morning, we're actually going to see two of these I am statements here in verses 7 through 18. These I am statements reveal the identity of Jesus and his purpose, and it communicates to us good news for sheep. Why is it okay to be a sheep? Well, we'll find out this morning. So if you'll follow along, I'm going to read Verses 7 through 18. John chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus said again to them, because they don't understand, right? Verse 6, they don't understand what he's saying. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, verse 17, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus' claim to be the door of the sheepfold and the good shepherd is good news for sheep. So we see there's a lot of things in here that we won't have time to dive into depth on. But we do see four times that Jesus says, I am. He says four times, I am. And so these give us four reasons for why it's okay to be a sheep. And the first one we see in verses 7 through 8. It's okay to be sheep because Jesus is the entrance to the sheepfold. It's okay to be sheep because Jesus is the entrance to the sheepfold. And Jesus leads with this statement. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. There's two observations that we can make from what Jesus says about the door. And the first is this. In verse 8, we see Jesus is the door that provides access to the sheepfold. That's what he says. I am the door of the sheepfold. Now think about what, what does a door do? What is the purpose of a door? Well, the door is an entrance or a portal of some kind that provides access to whatever is behind the door. This is good news for sheep because, as we just saw, sheep are vulnerable creatures. So by being the door, Jesus is the access to survival for his sheep. And as we think about the picture that Jesus gives us here, Unlike your house, the sheepfold is designed with only one door. There's no back door. There's only one way in. You can only enter through the door. And this is intentional. This is an intentional design because it means the shepherd is the only one with access to the sheep. And the shepherd does not have to worry about watching more than one entrance. There's only one door. And this is important because there are thieves and robbers. There are dangers. There are, there are things out to get the sheep, to destroy them. 
But because Jesus is the door, any other attempt into the sheepfold is done by imposters who prey on the sheep to destroy them. Jesus calls them thieves and robbers. These imposters have no true access to Jesus' sheepfold because guess who's standing in the way? The door. In contrast to these imposters, we see that Jesus is the true door and the only access into the sheepfold. You cannot be one of Jesus' sheep unless he lets you into the fold. That's the first observation we see about Jesus being the door. He's the access to the sheepfold. Second, we see that the imposters, these thieves and robbers, were ineffective at leading the sheep. That's in verse 8. The sheep do not listen to them because they don't know their voice. And if you notice how Jesus refers to these thieves and robbers, he says that they are all who came before me. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. And this refers to to the leaders of Israel, the false messiahs who have come and gone throughout history. And the issue with these leaders is that they have failed the sheep. They have failed the people. They could not provide what they were supposed to provide for the people as their leaders. So as you, as you trace the history of Israel through the Old Testament, we see this happening where the sheep are scattered. The sheep are left on their own. There is no protection because Israel's leaders were thieves and robbers who were ineffective as leaders of their people. And the sheep did not recognize their voice. Instead of calling people to faith, what did Israel's leaders do? Well, they consumed them, and they left them scattered. The prophet Ezekiel describes it like this in Ezekiel chapter 34. He says, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, and the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. This is where the imposters have left God's people. But Jesus' voice, in contrast to this, will be effective as he calls his sheep to enter through the door to find access to the sheepfold. So this morning, consider the door of the sheepfold. Do you hear his voice as he calls you into the fold? There are many voices calling to you to follow them, and each one is promising to fulfill your life. The idols of our society call to you. The philosophies of our world are crying out, and even your own heart idols are wooing you to come follow them. But Jesus' sheep listen to his voice. I wonder this morning, whose voice are you listening to? Jesus calls you into the sheepfold. There's only one voice worth following. Only one way into the sheepfold, and you must enter through the door 
that is Jesus Christ. Jesus provides access into the sheepfold. But that's not all that Jesus does. Um, there's, even, there's even more good news for sheep here. So let's look at that in verses 9 through 10. It's okay to be sheep because Jesus provides access to God. It's okay to be sheep because Jesus provides access to God. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So what does access to the sheepfold entail? Well, ultimately, this access is access to God himself. Jesus describes three benefits for us here that the door provides. The door gives access to sheep. And the first is, in verse 9, salvation. Jesus provides access to salvation. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And as human beings, or in this context, as sheep, we are all guilty of rebellion against God. We're all guilty of of sin by our nature and by our choice, and this has separated us from God. This has broken the relationship between God and man. And so humans have no access to God because of their sin. And instead, they are condemned to death, and they're left vulnerable to any who would come and consume them, even if it's the sheep themselves. It's foolish for sheep to think that they know better than their shepherd, and it's foolish for humans to think that they know better than their creator. Yet this is what we do when we turn to our sin. This is who we are without a shepherd. Sin makes us guilty of treason, We all deserve the wrath of God because of our sin, and we all deserve death. But friends, Jesus has come to provide you with access to life. Jesus is the door to the salvation that you desperately need. And it's through Jesus Christ that our access to God has been restored. You have access to God through the door. Jesus Christ. So there's access to salvation. And second, we see that there's access to pasture. There's access to uh, this protected pasture. He says in verse 9, If anyone enters by me, he will go in and out and find pasture. Access to salvation results in everything that the sheep need. In Jesus' metaphor, the door is not just access to shelter, but Once you find yourself in the sheepfold, there's also access to leave the sheepfold to go to pasture, where the sheep find food. They graze and have food that sustains their life. Jesus says that he is the door that provides access to everything that his sheep need. So as they go out, they're provided access to safe pasture because the shepherd leads them out. They're not on their own. And to sustenance for their life. The sheep are led through the door to safe green pasture where they can graze to their content. And then as they come in, they're protected from thieves and wild animals that are on the other side of the door. And they're safe. They have everything that they need. 
The sheep have no need to fear entering the sheepfold because they have access through the door. They have no need to fear as they go out to the pasture because they're going through the door. They have everything that they need through Jesus Christ. Jesus provides this access to salvation, access to pasture. And third, we see Jesus provides access to what he calls abundant life in verse 10. He says, I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. You might be asking, and we should ask of this text, well, what is abundant life? The word used here that's translated abundantly carries the idea of a surplus or excess, more than enough. So abundance is life that is full and overflowing. This is life that is not fleeting or fragile, but it's plentiful and long-lasting. Abundant life is a satisfied life. The life that Jesus provides is not just a life that barely scrapes by. That's what he's trying to communicate here. This is not a fragile life, but it's abundance. It's more than you need. And here we need to take a few moments to distinguish between how some people would wrongly interpret abundant life, people who are false teachers, or you could call them thieves and robbers or wolves, that would tell you that when Jesus says abundant life, he means that your life will be easy. He means that your life will be full of wealth and riches and abundance of material possession and pleasures. This is not what Jesus means here. How can that be true when there are faithful Christians, maybe even some of you here in this room, who live in poverty and face threats of danger and death and go through sickness and die? Does this mean that, well, they don't have enough faith? No, these thieves who are teaching this this doctrine are preying on sheep to enslave you to idols that will consume you for their own benefit. The abundant life that Jesus promises is much more than material pleasure. Your wealth, think about it, your wealth and your riches will only last and benefit you for a few decades. But Jesus has come to provide you with abundant life that's eternal. Life that never ends. Jesus has come to provide you with more than your best life now. He has come to provide you with more than enough for eternity. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around exactly what he means here. Because we live in a society and and we live in a way that is consumed with material possessions. So we equate our success with our bank accounts, the size of our houses, or the vehicles that we park in our garages. This is not the abundant life that Jesus is promising here. That's slavery to a false shepherd. Listen, if you hope for abundance in these things, you are following after thieves and robbers. Jesus provides his sheep with abundant life, regardless of how much money they make. And this life is full of pleasure and joy and meaning. 
The psalmist described it in this way in Psalm 16, verse 11. He says, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The life Jesus provides doesn't guarantee you will always have a job or everything you want in this life, but he will provide you with life that is lavish and full of riches in the world to come. Look at the contrast to this abundant life that Jesus provides as he points out the intentions of the thieves. He says, the thieves are out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. They're there to consume the sheep. They just want them for material possession. They only have their own interests in mind with no regard for the sheep. And that contrasts to how Jesus described the shepherd back in verse 3. Look at what he said. The shepherd calls them all by name. Now, you don't usually name your livestock. You give name to your children. You give names to your pets, who you have zero intention to kill. Jesus names his sheep because he loves them, and he's come to provide them with life. Consider the abundant life Jesus offers as the door. He is the access. This is not fragile life that depends on the stock market or the weather or how the chiefs do tonight. You will not find abundance in these things. So don't strive only for security that a 401k will provide for you. Look to Jesus for greater abundance. And greener pastures. You must be fully dependent on Jesus to be the access to that. This access to eternal life. Because how many ways are there into the sheepfold? There's one. Jesus is the door. And he provides access to the sheepfold, which results in abundant life for the sheep. But that's not all. He continues to describe the depths of this metaphor in verses 11 through 13. Here we see that it's okay to be sheep because Jesus is the shepherd sacrifice. Jesus is the shepherd sacrifice. He says it this way, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Don't miss the fact that he describes himself as good here. If you think about it, he could have described himself uh, with a lot of different terms. He could have said, I am the strong shepherd. I am the wise shepherd. I am the loving shepherd. I am the mighty shepherd, the best shepherd. But what does he say? He says, I am the good shepherd. Why does that matter? Well, because this sets Jesus apart from all other shepherds. This means that he will only treat the sheep in a way that promotes their well-being at the expense of his own, which sets him apart from all other shepherds who do not love the sheep, who act like thieves more than shepherds, and who just consume the sheep for their own benefit. Listen, the only kind of shepherd who can care for sheep who have been mistreated in this way is a good shepherd. The good shepherd will never do anything that does not benefit his sheep because he loves his sheep in a sacrificial way. 
Notice three things that Jesus does that prove his goodness in these verses. And the first is this. He lays his life down for the sheep. Verse 11. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. And what we see happening in this metaphor is that Jesus is fulfilling multiple levels of what he's talking about here. He's not just the door, but he's also the shepherd of the sheep. And not only that, he's also the sacrifice for the sheep. The good shepherd puts his life on the line for his sheep. And and a shepherd in Jesus' day would face dangers like uh, we've already discussed, the wild animals, the, the thieves and robbers who would come to scatter and steal the sheep. You might be familiar with King David's infamous story about fending off bears and lions as a shepherd. David was a good shepherd because he protected his sheep. And this is a mark of a good shepherd. But Jesus raises the level of goodness here. He raises the level above King David's goodness. He's better than David because he's not just going to put himself in danger. He's going to allow himself to be taken away. He's going to lay his life down to protect the sheep. Jesus will give his life for theirs as the shepherd sacrifice. And in Jesus' day, the sheep were the sacrifice. They would raise sheep to be used in the religious ceremony of sacrifice like you've been learning in in Exodus. The sheep that would, would cover the sin of the people. But Jesus makes this incredible claim that he's both the shepherd and the sacrifice. And by doing this, he's foretelling of his coming death on the cross. And if you keep reading through this Gospel of John, you'll find that in a few short weeks, Jesus will die a substitutionary sacrifice in the place of his sheep. This shepherd sacrifice meets the greatest need that the sheep have because it gives them life. It offers them forgiveness for their sin. And this is what John the Baptist proclaimed the first time he saw Jesus when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in Jesus' flock, the sheep are no longer sacrificed because the shepherd has become the sacrifice. This is a familiar picture for us. If if you've read through Isaiah, Isaiah presents Jesus as a suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 7, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So Jesus becomes the suffering shepherd in this sacrifice. He lays his life down for the sheep. And I wonder this morning do you know this shepherd? Are you a part of his sheepfold? You can be. You can be, but you must enter through the door. You must rest in the sacrifice of the shepherd, which means you must turn away from your feeble attempts to enter the fold. 
There's nothing you can do to make yourself worthy to be a sheep of Jesus. You must turn away from the false shepherds that lead your heart into danger. And you must become fully dependent on the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can save you. And he will. Will you trust him today? Would you call on him to save you, to rescue you, and bring you into the fold? The benefits you receive from that are enormous. Because Jesus provides his sheep with abundant life that lasts for eternity. But you must depend upon the shepherd. Jesus lays his life down for the sheep, which proves that he's a good shepherd. Second, we see that Jesus owns his sheep. This is what makes him good. He owns his sheep. This means that Jesus is more than a hired hand. He's not just an hourly employee that's clocking in and clocking out. He's completely vested in the survival of his sheep. He says that his sheep are his own possession. And this is why he won't abandon them in the face of danger. Friends, if Jesus is your shepherd, you are his valued possession. You are his because he bought you with his sacrifice. And if you call yourself a Christian this morning, recognize this truth. Don't gloss over it. Jesus owns you. He owns his sheep. And this would be bad news if Jesus was not good. Because that would mean Jesus owns you at your, at your expense. Jesus owns you And there's no goodness for you in that, right? This is our culture's understanding of slavery. But because Jesus is good, he owns his sheep, and they have everything that they need. Because he owns you at his own expense, not at yours. The third defining act of goodness we see in this shepherd is found in verse 13. Jesus cares for his sheep. He cares for them. The hired hand only cares for his own life, but Jesus cares for his sheep to the point that it cost him his life. Why does the good shepherd care for his sheep? Well, he cares for them because he loves them. His care comes from a deep heart of concern concern for them. And if you think about it, you will go to great lengths to care and protect for your children Because you care about your children more than you care about yourself. And this is the exact definition of love. And this is what Jesus does for his sheep. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's John 15, 13. Jesus cares for his sheep because he loves them. And Jesus cares for his sheep because he is good. He will not allow his sheep to be carried away by danger. He will not preserve his own life at their expense. Sheep are only as secure as their shepherd is good. We won't make it all the way to these verses this morning, but we actually discussed them in Sunday school. Uh, But if you jump down to verse 28, listen to this promise that Jesus describes his sheep being in his hand. And he describes that 
His hand is in God the Father's hand. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. How secure are the sheep of Jesus? As secure as the hand of God. And for the sheep to be lost, that means that Jesus must be lost from the hand of God, which is impossible. Jesus will not lose any of his sheep. We must rest in our security with Jesus as our shepherd. Because of the love Jesus has for you, you no longer have to live a life of bondage to your false shepherds. You no longer live a life of anxiety and fear because Jesus loves you. If you're Jesus' sheep, you will not be lost because he cares for you and he's good. So let this good news fill you with hope this morning, hope that sustains you with joy and comfort even in the face of deep trials and fear. Consider the good news of the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. It's okay to be sheep when you have a good shepherd. Well, so far we've seen um, in these I am statements this morning that Jesus provides access to his sheepfold as the door. Jesus provides access to salvation and abundant life. We see that Jesus becomes the shepherd's sacrifice for the sheep. And finally this morning in verses 14 through 18, we see another reason for hope as sheep. And that's this. It's okay to be sheep because Jesus unites his sheep together. It's okay to be sheep because Jesus unites his sheep together. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And here we see Jesus describes a relationship with his sheep that results in their unity, their union together. And there's three things we'll see quickly that Jesus unites his flock together in. The first is this. Jesus unites his sheep into a relationship with the Father. This is what provides eternal life for a sheep. This is what rescues the sheep because they've been united in the same love as the Father and the Son. You see that in verse 14? Verse 15, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. One of the marks of a good relationship is the level at which you know each other mutually. So if you know everything about someone, think about it. Think about the relationships in your, your own life. If you know everything there is to know about someone, and they know nothing about you, what do we call that? Well, that's, that's an unhealthy obsession, to put it lightly. That's like wolf preying on sheep. But a true relationship involves, there's, there's mutual knowledge of one another. Both sides must know each other. And Jesus says that he knows his sheep and they know him. And by knowing him, they know the Father. So what's remarkable about this relationship that Jesus has with his sheep is that it mirrors the relationship he has with the Father. It connects them to the very love of the Father. 
This love is revealed to us in the death of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. And this love unites us to God himself. There's a second area of unity that we see here. The sheep are united together in verse 16. Jesus unites his sheep into one flock with one shepherd. What Jesus says here is really remarkable because he's referencing his plan for the church and for the world. Think about it. A good shepherd cannot sustain multiple flocks. You cannot be a good shepherd to more than one flock. Sheep will survive together in one flock with one shepherd. If you have multiple flocks, you have to share your time. And there is time when you're leaving the sheep vulnerable. But Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says there are sheep that are not of this fold. And I'm going to go get them and bring them. Bring them into the sheepfold. When Jesus refers to these sheep from another fold, he he means he's going to include Gentiles into his flock. And here we see um, the, the tie to Jesus' audience here is Jewish. And so they think in their minds that they are it. We are God's people. And this because we're special and because we've earned it. And they look down on the Gentile nations. And it's true, God has chosen Israel. But God's design for Israel was not to elevate Israel just for their own sake. God chose Israel so that the Gentile nations would know him and glorify him through their testimony. And Israel has failed in that, in that mission terribly. They failed. But Jesus has come to do what Israel had failed to do. Consider the truth that the good shepherd has come after Gentile sheep, meaning non-Jewish people. He's inviting them into his fold, which means that there's hope for all nations. Marvel at the mystery that is the church, the flock of Jesus, the good shepherd. The apostle Paul described it in this way in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 12 through 15, he says, Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Jesus has one flock, and he's including both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus has united his sheep into one fold, And he's still pursuing sheep today. This is why the church is actively involved in evangelism and missions. This is why we prayed this morning for God's work in Brazil and Portugal and Mozambique. There are lost sheep who will listen and respond to the voice of the good shepherd. So Jesus has united his sheep with the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
Jesus has united his sheep together into one fold. And third we see, Jesus unites his sheep into one hope. His sheep are united into one hope in verse 17. Jesus describes how he lays his life down in order to accomplish something. Notice that he says that he lays his life down so that he can raise it back up again in resurrection. This is the hope of the sheep of Jesus Christ. Resurrection. And this hope comes from the good shepherd because Jesus' resurrection is connected to God himself. Because Jesus is God. That's the point that John is trying to make in this whole gospel of John. In verse 17, he says that this resurrection is connected to the love of the Father. He's able to to accomplish what no one else can in his death and resurrection. He is the only shepherd who can both die and rise again. Notice also that this hope comes from this action that Jesus did of his own will. Jesus says, no one is taking this life from me. He's not laying his life down as a victim. He didn't accidentally get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, Jesus is a willing participant to this sacrifice, which means that Jesus has all the authority in death and in resurrection. He says, I have the authority to give my life up and the authority to take it back. This death is not accidental. He still holds the authority. And he proved that. He proved that by rising from the grave. Think about the power that that takes. What kind of power do you have to possess in order to raise someone from the dead? We don't understand that power because we don't know anyone like that except for Jesus. But our culture is trying its hardest to prevent and remove death. But our culture is unable to provide the answer. Because the answer is in the good shepherd. And his resurrection. Jesus alone holds the authority over death. And Jesus walked out of the grave victoriously in his resurrection. Jesus' sheep are united in one hope. This promise of resurrection for all of his sheep. We don't have time to go there this morning, but um, the rest of the New Testament is full of promises of the resurrection. And this is the hope that the sheep who follow Jesus have. I wonder this morning, do you have this hope? Are you filled with the hope of the resurrection of the good shepherd who laid his life down? And rose from the grave. You might, you might think that you do. But you find that your hope is in the health of your body. And when that is threatened, then you panic. You might find that your hope is actually in the security of your finances. And when that's threatened, you panic. The question you ought to be thinking is, What is my relation to death? Because death is the great equalizer of all mankind, of all sheep. Death comes to all of us. In Jesus' resurrection, though, he conquered death. And this must be your hope. 
Jesus will lead his sheep to the green pastures of resurrection. Listen, the false shepherds of your own heart are incapable of providing you with what they promise. They promise you pasture. They promise you abundance and life. But your heart is not capable of laying itself down and bringing itself back in resurrection. Only Jesus can do that. So it's okay to be sheep because Jesus unites his sheep together into one fold, into fellowship with the triune God and in the power of the resurrection. Friends, what else do you need? Is the good shepherd enough for you this morning? We need this reminder because our hearts are prone to wander away, just like sheep. We forget that our shepherd is good and we become ungrateful. We turn to other things we think will provide abundance and hope. Don't get caught by the wolves. Don't follow those thieves and robbers. Follow your shepherd, Jesus Christ. And as we conclude this morning, maybe you've been reminded of a very familiar passage written by the shepherd king David himself. In Psalm 23, Jesus describes this same good shepherd in this way. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow and, and death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and a staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And that's because King David followed the good shepherd. It's okay to be sheep this morning if Jesus is your shepherd. Let's pray. God, we praise you for the good news of the good shepherd and for the the shepherd's sacrifice that pays the penalty for our sin. We admit that we oftentimes turn to false shepherds of idolatry and we're prone to wander away. So thank you for these promises, the promise of security and rest and green pasture and resurrection. God, take these promises and change our hearts so that we follow you alone. I thank you and praise you for all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ and for this time we have together this morning to worship you. Pray that you would complete the work that you've started in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.